So Evan, uh, Evan Wallace, uh, welcome to the journey. And I'm glad you were able to join us today. And, uh, and, and this is probably one, uh, as of right now, probably um, one of my guests that uh, normally we have a lot of local people from Rockford. A couple of weeks ago, we had a good friend of mine that was uh, that actually lives in Florida now, and so then to have yourself on from uh, Hannibal, Missouri. So, uh, welcome to the journey. And uh, thanks for we, having me. Appreciate no, it. Not not a problem. Let me just explain a little bit about what the journey is about. And the journey is just to show that um, basically just takes the story of ordinary people who may have a different different time periods in their life, something that they may have struggled with, something that had, had caused them to have uh, some type of uh, kind of slip, or maybe they had some obstacle in their journey. And it's about how did they fail forward? How did they take that obstacle, persevere through that obstacle, and then on the other side, um, who they're now, um, who they are now. And so, uh, so that's essentially just the stories for uh, inspiration and hope. And if, if we can do it, then maybe someone listening can also uh, possibly uh, persevere through their struggles or their uh, the obstacles that they have in their life. So, uh, so welcome. Uh, so one of the things that I usually start individuals with or start off is just asking about what does Evan do for fun? When he has an opportunity for fun, what do you, what do you do for fun? Um, so I'm really into writing, um, and music of, I'm not very good at playing any instruments, but I, uh, try to, uh, sing a lot and, uh, listen to praise songs. Um, and then on top of that, one of my weird hobbies, I like to extreme coupon, uh, just like okay. the TV show. Um, okay. uh, you can imagine, um, I mean, as much as you can do in a small town with the few retailers we have, but, uh, it's just something that's fun for me, mess with the numbers and kind of keeps me motivated. Gotcha. Okay. So, so extreme coupon, you got to fill me in. I don't, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't know much about that. What's, what's extreme coupon? What explain, if you give me like a, like a shortened version of what does that mean? All right. So basically you get the items, you uh, clip coupons from the paper and match them with the ones from the store or ones from online to try to get the biggest discounts. Um, for example, I, went to my local CVS and got uh, $400 of uh, toilet paper, paper towels, uh, shampoo, conditioner, anything you could think of, any household supplies. And I got it for under $50. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. So, so that was just a matter of, of collecting these different coupons, doing some research with that, finding out where they apply and then going and and basically getting reimbursed for, for, for that. Right. Right, right. So it's a, it's a big money saver for my family. And then uh, also one of my main motivations for doing it is any leftovers uh, that we have that we might not need uh, will be donated to local church groups that do shoebox missions. Um, so those are usually personal supplies that are sent to uh, countries like Haiti or uh, the Dominican Republic or things like that. Okay. Very cool. All right. What made you, how'd you get into that? how did you get into uh, the, the, the ultimate uh, couponing? how did you get into that? Well, I, I've always kind of been um, fascinated with money. Uh, and I, as soon as I got a job, you realize the, the power and the scarcity of that money. Sure. Um, and so it was just a way for me to, and my mom to have something fun to do. We were both kind of interested in it. Um, and then, you know, it was a way for me to try to beat her savings, you know, okay. and challenge each other. So, 
Gotcha. Okay. And then you, you said you write, what kind of writing do you do? Um, mainly poetry. Okay. Uh, and so I originally, um, started just writing short stories and things like that. Um, but I really found that that was my main way to cope with my, um, my emotions and the things I really couldn't get out verbally to make other people understand. Okay. Okay. True. So when, how long ago, when did you start, start doing messing around with poetry and messing around with just kind of getting your thoughts down on paper and, and that like kind of worked for you? When do you, when do you think that actually started for you? Um, I would say probably two years ago is when I started just writing and jotting down little ideas okay. um, here and there, but I really didn't start taking it seriously until um, probably September, October of last year. Okay. Um, and really getting some thoughts on paper. And it really helped me understand, uh, you know, looking back at like the meaning behind the poems later, I mean, you get caught up in the emotions of the moment, but looking back when you're calm and it really takes a whole new meaning. Um, and it kind of helped me realize what pieces of my life I needed to work on and what were the feelings behind those. Gotcha, okay, all right. And, and Evan, you're 20 right now, is that correct? Correct. Okay. So you basically got started with the idea or got introduced to the concept, 17, 18 years old. And then when you were uh, 19 or so, turned 20 or right around that time, this is when you, about nine months ago or so is when you really kind of really took hold. Correct. Okay. All right. And then you also said you're into music. And, I, like, and so do you play or just, uh, just enjoy music or what do you? Um, I really just enjoy music, uh, all sorts. I'm not a huge country fan, but, uh, okay. uh, other than that, I'll listen to just about anything. Um, I just, there's a lot of songs out there that are, uh, just easy to relate to. Um, and there's, I mean, any genre, any, you know, they're dealing with the same struggles as the ordinary person, regardless of the money and the, the fame that comes with it. So it's a, a kind of another way to just escape. So, so, so again, similar to what, <clears throat> similar to what you were talking about earlier, it's, it's the whole idea of the story. And so similar to you writing your own, your own writings, either in poetry, or your own uh, stories, you, it's a way of getting out those, those thoughts and those feelings and kind of organizing them a little bit. You also are attracted to other artists that may be doing the same thing. Well, yeah. And, and not only ones that are dealing with the same problems I'm dealing with, but it's very, uh, important to me to understand the various struggles that other people are uh, dealing with. Um, and it gives me a new perspective, especially working at the local thrift store. I interact with uh, people from all socioeconomic status, races, classes, creeds. Um, and you get to talk to those people and you can, you can hear the songs playing in your head as they're going through the stories and, and telling their journey. Um, and you can really hear the connection between I mean, lyrically, it's it's all the same struggles that we're all dealing with. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, well, let, I'm interested in kind of jumping into your kind of your backstory. You mentioned your mom, and do you have any siblings? Uh, I have two half sisters. Okay. Uh, and then a half brother. My sisters are five and six. Okay. And then my brother is sixteen. Okay. Okay. And so, so your brother is a, is, so you have to kind of give me the breakdown here. So, so, uh, uh, dad, is dad still in the picture? Uh, he is, um, 
me and him uh, have kind of had a strange relationship. Um, he's had a series of, you know, relationships and a couple wives and we, uh, me and the stepwives or the wives never got along. So um, I was kind of always the uh, misfit of the group, you know? Okay. okay. Uh, so I always was very, um, just very uh, mother oriented, <laughs> I guess you could say. So my mom's family has always been there for me, but me and my dad still communicate. Okay. And does he live in near Hannibal or? Yeah, he does. Um, he's only about 10 minutes away from me. So I go and see him probably uh, once or twice a month, but I do, uh, I live with my mom when I'm not at school. So. Gotcha. Okay. And then, um, and so then your is, so your, your half brother, is that with, is that uh, a, a a son of your dad's or of your mom's? Son of my dad's. And son then the two, the two sisters are my mom's kids. Gotcha. Okay. And you're, so in, in the house right now where you're living at, so that's uh, you and your, and your two half sisters, your mom and anyone else? My stepdad. And then my grandparents are currently living with us. Okay. So they, uh, they sold their house and weren't expecting it to get off the market that quick. Didn't have anything lined up afterwards. So they've been uh, squatting here for about two years now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just visiting, right. For two yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, you, you mentioned school. So, uh, so yeah, kind of to tell, tell us a little bit about what was school like growing up and were you involved with sports? Were you involved with extracurricular activities? What were you, or the arts, or what were you involved with as you were going through school? Um, so it's probably a lot different than it is uh, near Chicago, but our class size, my class size graduating was around 200. Um, so our individual classes were usually about 20 kids apiece. But um, in third grade, I got involved in, uh, it's called the LEAP program here. Um, and it's basically a, a gifted education program where kids can um, meet with other like-minded individuals and just kind of explore the different things that um, education has to offer uh, beyond the normal curriculum. Um, and so we got to do projects, uh, just researching. I actually did a video on the Loch Ness Monster, which I thought was really cool at the time. Um, but that was one thing I was really involved in. Um, and then middle school, uh, I really didn't do a whole lot. I got involved in, um, it's uh, called Pirate Singers, and it's kind of like show choir for eighth graders. And so I was more involved in arts in middle school. Uh, and then in high school, I did show choir, academic team, um, which is quiz bowl. Um, I did finance team, and we actually won first in Missouri and got to go to nationals, which was really fun. And then uh, I did soccer all four years, so. Okay. All right. And so, uh, so, so during those, so that, that was all through, through high school, right. And through the middle school and high school, you did that. And then right after high school, what, what'd you do after high school? So after high school, um, I kind of always had this fascination with healthcare, um, how other people thought, how it, how it all worked. Um, and so I decided to go to the university of Missouri in Columbia, um, and pursue a degree in health science. Uh, with the ultimate goal of going to medical school. Um, and then I actually have been pre-accepted to medical school there uh, upon uh, 
the requirements that I keep my grade point average and uh, get a solid score on the MCAT. But uh, they just have a program where it helps uh, rural Missourians find access to healthcare, which is something I was really passionate about. And so that's why I chose there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And I, and I know that when we talked the other day, you, you, you had some of your own, uh, some of your own struggles and, and obviously it sounds like there were some struggles with, um, <laughs> uh, mom and dad, how old were you when mom and dad got divorced? Uh, well actually, so my mom had me in high school and so they had to graduate early. Um, but they never got married. So around one, I think they split up and then had the custody uh, back and forth from there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And it sounds like there were some, some, uh, some difficult times during, uh, at, at, at dad's place based upon, you know, who he was with at that time and things like that. But you had mentioned, uh, that, that there were some other struggles that you had growing up. So, and, and when did that all start beginning to surface? Um, I think it was around middle school age. Uh, so here in school, the, until you get to middle school, the grades are kind of just like satisfactory, unsatisfactory. Um, and then I got to middle school and they were actually letter grades. And so, um, from there I noticed that I was kind of an anxious personality. Um, it really bothered me to get even 99% on a test. I'd be bummed out that I missed that one question. Um, and if I got a B, I would break down in tears and uh, kind of be an emotional wreck for a couple of days. Um, and so I noticed then that uh, I just I needed to find other ways to cope with it, um, but I just pushed it off to the side. Um, and as soon as high school hit, uh, I really didn't feel like much pressure from other people as much, but I put enough pressure on myself to where. Uh, anything better than or anything less than perfect was inadequate. And so really uh, that started the struggles of self-doubt and lack of self-esteem when I couldn't be perfect for everybody at every point in time. Gotcha. So, so thinking back when you first noticed in, in middle school, and I think these developmental years, right, that we, we kind of like, we figure stuff out, right. It, it, right. And, and I can relate to that. I don't, I don't remember necessarily, I remember noticing things in middle school, but not necessarily, um, I, I wasn't courageous enough to ask somebody about something. I was trying to piece things together myself because I didn't want people to know what was going on, you know, and, and reveal that. So if you think back to that, noticing that you were, what it sounds like you're saying is that you were pretty, pretty concerned slash consumed with the outcome right like correct what yeah. was the final outcome part of it and and so what what if you did get that you know 95 out of 100 or got a b if, if that happened what you said you did some coping things back then what were some of the things the coping how did you cope with it i mean obviously you were upset about it but what things did you do to try to make that feeling of unsettledness go away um, so that's when I really turned to music, uh, right off the bat. Um, I did, like, I started in like unhealthily, uh, eating habits. Um, I would just binge food. If I gone to, went to a buffet after something, I would go six or seven plates and not feel bad about it. Um, and really that's like, those are my main two mechanisms, but, uh, I really kind of let the, the eating and, um, 
the I tried to get uh, friendships and relationships that weren't necessarily healthy so that I felt like I was accepted by a social group um, and that I could talk to them about not being perfect about grades. Um, I usually tried to pick people sad enough that uh, were getting lower grades than me, so I make myself feel better. Um, and even though they weren't actually my real friends, you know, you learn that a little bit later, but um, those are the main strategies I had at the time. So like for the one, like obviously the, and then that unfortunately is, is fairly common, right? To find a socially acceptable way to feel, to, to literally feel different. So comfort foods, you know, foods, you know, or, or just feeling satisfied is a way of distracting us off of, uh, off of whatever we may be thinking about. So that that's pretty, uh, you know, for some can work for some people. And then, and then the idea that you were talking about is if I, if, if I, so to speak, are not always running with the people that are my competition as far as grade wise, but with individuals that I know that I'm going to be necessarily um, stronger in academically, then I don't have to look in that mirror. I don't have to look the same way. Is that what you're kind of saying? Right. Okay. And so, so then moving on to like high school and stuff like that, what, what things did you do as far as like, it sounds like a lot of the activities you, you were in, um, you know, it wasn't just like a one and done. You, you would have to go, you know, go back to that class or go back to have another test or something like that. So what, what things did you also find yourself doing? Cause it sounds like there was definitely this element of overachieving. Yes. Like, like there was this a need to overachieve or, or there was never an end to it, so to speak. Right. Um, well, as soon as high school hit, uh, the amount of opportunities obviously increased from middle school. Um, and with that, so did the ways I tried to cope with it. Um, from there, my main, my main strategy was just to keep busy as much as possible because I knew if I was focused on uh, a task uh, in particular, such as my extracurricular activities or, or sports or uh, something like that, then it was less time that I had alone to think and get in my own head about things. Um, and it was less time I had to study and uh, beat myself up that I missed a question on the practice exam or uh, didn't know how to do the homework that day. Gotcha. Okay. So, so one of the coping strategies then, and again, these are all on the outside, right, are seen as, um, you know, fairly healthy coping strategies, right? They're, they're, right. you know, so if you're, if you're just being busy, being, being productive regarding doing other activities, uh, no one's going to really complain because you're, you're filling up your resume um, for colleges or, or whatever with these extracurricular activities. Well, and that's the reason I think I push myself to do all those things because the less people are, the more people see you doing and, and achieving, then the less likely they are to ask you about those underlying issues and the less likely they're to see those issues. And so I just was kind of ashamed um, of the fact that I felt that way about myself um, because I've always been told to uh, put yourself first and and that's easier said than done. Uh, so I just use that as a way to really escape from 
myself in a way and really never got a chance to uh, find out who I was until I had none of that to go to. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What, so like, it, it, like anything, right. We're, we're going to, it's going to run its course. We're going to, it's going to, we're only going to be able to pull it off for so long. And sometimes it's for, for some people that that thing or that way of coping lasts longer and others, it doesn't last as long, but at some point it stops working. Right. And, and, and for you, when, tell us a little bit about when did you notice that it stopped working or, um, or other people started noticing? Uh, I would say it stopped working as soon as college happened. Um, I got to college and I didn't have an in crowd anymore. Uh, I didn't have sports to go to. I wasn't a D one athlete. I didn't, uh, was not a member of any organizations to start with. Um, and so really I had a blank slate and anytime I, I mean, you get more free time in college that I'm sure you know than you would in a high school setting. Um, and so from there, the free time was a time where I could uh, inflict the mental anguish upon myself for not being perfect. Um, and so uh, in a couple months into college, uh, I got to my first chemistry test, um, didn't know a couple answers and had a panic attack and passed out right there in the lecture hall. Um, and so from there I knew it was a problem I needed to address. Um, but I didn't quite know the severity of the underlying problem at the time. And, and so, okay. So then you knew something else was going on. Obviously that response to that chemistry test, you know, was, was now, you now something's got it exposed now. Right. And yeah. so, so what, what happened next? What happened after that? Um, so obviously I had to let my family know what had happened because I had to go to the, uh, to the doctor and they were going to see the medical bills anyway. Um, and so I had to, I started to go to therapy, um, at the local, uh, student-based organization there, um, and was prescribed, um, an antidepressant. Uh, so I went to that therapy for two or three months. We get, I think four visits a year, um, which I, for free. And then it starts being like a hundred dollars a visit, which I feel like is really expensive, but, um, so I started going to that therapy, um, and the response I got from the therapist at the time was, um, well, your grades are doing fine. So are you really even having a problem? Uh, and I tried to explain to her that the grades weren't the issue. I was going to get the, the grades regardless if I had to stay awake till six in the morning, if I had an eight o'clock class. Um, but the, I felt so tired and groggy from having to fight the sensory awareness of uh, the pressure I was feeling uh, all the time. And so that was the real issue I was trying to address. And I really didn't, I felt I'd like I lost hope after um, it wasn't addressed by someone I went to as a medical professional that I thought would see me unbiasedly. And okay. So, so you, did you see her more than four times or did you see her just the four times? Um, I went the four times. Um, and then she, uh, said that I, she didn't think I needed 
to go anymore because I was doing fine in school. So she was, she was kind of uh, stuck on the fact that you were, by grades, you were doing above average. Right. And, I was performing and, to the standard that she had set. Right. But, but she wasn't really hearing that, that that wasn't really the issue. The issue wasn't that you had a 4.0. The issue was that, well, not only was it not better than a 4.0, right? It wasn't perfect, but it was all the anguish that went into maintaining the energy around the, this whole this whole aspect of needing to be um, better than. Right. Okay. And so, okay, so she essentially discharges you. Yeah. And, and, and not that it didn't take a ton for you to get into that position, you know, anyways, right. Cause it, it's always hard to start counseling. I'd say, I always think, you know, I always get anybody who starts counseling, I give them a ton of credit because it just, you know, we're, we're, we're asking people as a therapist, I'm asking people to come and talk to me about stuff that they don't want to tell people that they already know, let alone now they're going to tell a stranger. I mean, yeah. It's just, it's a tough deal, you know? And so I give, I give you a ton of credit for even doing that. And that's unfortunate that that was your, your initial experience. So what, so what, what did you mentally do? What did you do afterwards? I mean, you're discharged now. You were hoping this person was going to understand. Right. So I had um, gone to a like stress relief class also on campus. Um, and so when I didn't have that, I just tried to use all of those uh, stress relieving strategies and deep breathing and, and, uh, and listening to therapeutic music and exercising and all those things they, they tell you to, that, uh, will help you relax. Um, I did all those things for about, uh, eight months to a year. Um, and then I started getting into harder classes, uh, the year after that. Um, and then all of that kind of went out the window. Um, and then, so I went to the doctor, uh, in April of my second year of college, okay. um, or no, April of first year. Uh, and I felt like my medication had stopped working. Um, but at one point you did notice some, some benefit to it at first. Okay. Were you okay. Yeah. I, I had noticed my mood was completely changed. Um, I was feeling better, worrying less. Um, just overall more energy, um, more desire to do other things other than schoolwork. Uh, so I noticed a great benefit for about, uh, you know, those first eight months. Sure. Um, and then from there, I uh, was just getting down on myself again. Um, but I didn't have the, the courage to go back to therapy at that point. I'd already felt defeated um, by my first encounter. Uh, and so I went reverted back to the old coping mechanisms that I had, I'd found in high school and, uh, by just trying to go out with friends and, and, or sometimes I would even drive around in my car for hours on end. So I wasn't at home just thinking, um, or where I would have to talk to my family about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, mm-hmm. I, this went on, um, until the following August, Um, and I had, um, a lot of suicidal ideation that began, um, it started off, uh, as maybe a once a day occurrence, you know, nothing, 
nothing crazy shouldn't be happening anyways, but I thought it was something that I would get through just like if I was sad normally. Um, but I didn't. And it got to the point where I was thinking about it constantly every 15 minutes I couldn't go without, um, not, not only the thoughts, but the, the images of how I would do it. What, what would my family think? What would I say in letters? Um, and if you know me personally, that's just, I, I try to be bubbly and, and outgoing as much as I can. And that was just completely out of the normal. Um, so I got put on a different medication because they said my uh, previous one had, uh, I'd gained a tolerance to it. Um, now was, so, that, was that medication changed in April or was it changed in August? So it was, it was changed in August. Okay. April, I went to the doctor originally and he told me to keep trying just in case I had, uh, we upped the dose of the previous medication just in case it was a, a fluke. Sure. Um, so in August that was changed completely to a different medication. Um, I let that go for, um, couple months. Uh, it was until like November. I really hadn't had any benefit from it. Um, and in fact, it kind of, uh, made me feel worse. Um, and at that point I, uh, in, on my way back to school, I attempted to drive my car into, um, one of the, uh, power lines along the side of the two lane highway. Um, yeah. So that was coming back from, was that coming, coming back to school after Thanksgiving or? Um, no. So I would come home every weekend. Oh, okay. See my family. Uh, all my friends came back cause we're uh, pretty close to Columbia okay. anyway. So. I see. Okay. So, so were, was this, you, you said the, the suicide ideation started in August, started happening, started happening and then happening more frequently Medication right. changed. Was the doctor aware of the suicidal ideation? Uh, no. No. Okay. So that was again. What? What? What do you? In your words, why do you? What was the reason why you didn't tell tell the doctor? Um, I was ashamed of it. Okay. I knew I shouldn't feel that way. That it was wrong. Um, but I didn't want to make, if I made it, if I said it out loud, then it was real. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, if I didn't want him knowing, I especially didn't want my family knowing. Sure. Um, and I kind of, if I said it to him, I'd kind of feel obligated to tell my mom. Sure. sure. So, I mean, I, I told him, I think eventually, uh, like a month or two after I had originally got my medication switched. Um, when I told him nothing was getting better, um, and then we finally started experimenting with medications from there. Gotcha. Okay. It is a, just kind of a sidebar real quick. It is, it's crazy how much, uh, depression lies to us, how much the mental illness aspect of lies to us and says, no one's going to understand. They're just going to be upset. They're just going to ask more questions. If I say it, then somehow it's more real than what you're already experiencing. Right. Um, and, it, and so if there was a, a particular lie that the anxiety slash depression was, was saying, what, what was, when you think about when it was at its worst, 
like on that drive home that time or drive back to Missouri that or drive back to Columbia to the university of Missouri. What, what was the, what was the lie that it was telling him? Um, that I had already lost, uh, that in, in my obsession with those thoughts that things were never going to be back to the way they were, that it had already, uh, it had already beaten me down and that I, I, at that point had no worth. Um, not only had I underachieved, but I was at the, at the lowest of the low, as far as achievement in life, if I had these thoughts. And so I think that was the biggest lie. And it, it, it really, it gets you to a point where you, you feel defeated and you, you believe those things, um, because you're, you're battling your own, your own head <laughs> and like, it knows your thoughts. It knows what you're going to do next. So, yeah. and it tells you not to tell anyone. Correct. Yeah. So then you're, then, so then you're fighting this, this silent battle all, all the time with no, because you, yeah. Cause I hear other people tell me that they're, it, it then lies says, if you tell anybody, then they won't either one, they'll minimize or, or they'll just try to make you feel better. They won't believe you or I don't want to yeah. worry them. Yeah. Like it gets you going every angle. Well, well, the thing I got is they, I always thought that they wouldn't understand mm. uh, that they would just see it as me being, being, being sad and not anything that needed to be worried about something more like a phase. And so I didn't want to feel discredited as I think the main reason I didn't express my feelings. So similar to what happened when you worked with that therapist, you know, you didn't use the word discredited with that therapist, but definitely not understood for, for where you were at based upon the circumstances. So, and you, okay. So the fear was, is that would happen if you told other people again or told your family or whoever. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, so then, okay. So, so, so then what happened on that drive home? Um, um so Luckily enough, it had rained the night before, and so as soon as I hit the grass, my car uh, slid out from uh, the back end slid, uh, and I actually didn't hit the pole. Uh, and so I sat on the road for half an hour, um, broken down, and my original thought was, you're not even good enough to complete this, um, you know. Uh, and so I called, uh, my best friend, we've been friends since seventh grade and he's always kind of been the one I felt more comfortable to go to than my family. Um, and so he came and picked me up, uh, and we talked for, um, an hour or so. And then he finally said that I needed to go home, um, and tell my family and actually get real help. Uh, and so at that point I decided that, uh, I wanted to be admitted to a medical facility um, and get the actual help I need with no distractions and no uh, chance of fear without full recovery. Sure. Okay. And, and so that, so you went home and told her parents. Yeah. Or, or told your mom at least, right. And stepdad. And so and did you go to the hospital then? Yeah. The facility then? That night. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so that was, that was in November. Uh, so yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about, obviously it took a ton of courage to, 
to not only call your friend, but then tell your friend everything and then allow yourself to have the courage to go back and tell your parents and follow through with it. So that's all huge, huge amounts of courage to be able to do that, especially under the circumstance of all the things that you've been saying of what the anxiety and depression has already, you know, kicked the crap out of you <laughs> with all the things that it does. Um, what did, what was your experience like in the facility? What, what has it been like since? What did you learn? What did you learn about Evan? Um, well, initially I was uh, pretty hesitant, even though I'd made that decision to go into the medical facility. Uh, I didn't want even the staff to think I was a crazy person. Um, you know, you always have that stigma. If you, if you seek help for a mental illness, then there's something wrong with you or it's, you're abnormal as a person. Um, and definitely in my experience in there, uh, it wasn't the case. Uh, every half an hour, I believe we had activities to do, uh, that range from going to AA or, uh, watching or playing board games or doing bingo or drawing crafts. And that was kind of helpful to, break up the monotony of being not able to go outside. Um, and in between those, we were able to meet with uh, a therapist and a, a psychiatrist as well. And that would walk us through how we were feeling, um, how our medication was doing, uh, our interactions with other patients. Um, but really, I learned the most about myself in talking to other individuals in the facility, how everybody in there was so different. Um, not people I would normally see myself associating with uh, in throughout daily life, but they, in telling me their stories, it all sounded so similar. Uh, different, different experiences, obviously, um, as different people have, but the underlying feelings and, and thoughts behind them were all the same, uh, regardless of the the trauma that they had faced individually. Um, and so I think I learned the need for myself to just reach out and connect with people of all types and all, um, all groups, um, not only to share my story as I'm doing today, but just to make connections and become well-versed as a person. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, so that that was where some of the things in the in the in the socializing and the social learning aspect of of your experience there um, was huge. And also, one, you weren't alone; you weren't the only one having these these thoughts. They they obviously, you know, had no, they had nothing to gain by you know telling you what they wanted what you wanted to hear. I mean, they they were just in the same spot you were, right? And right. so so that's there's a there's a level of affirmation and validation that happens when you when you when you see that mirror getting reflected back up at you and so uh, so with that so that was how long were you in the facility um about a week okay and then what did you do upon discharge um upon discharge i immediately had um through their help uh was uh, consulted by a psychiatrist uh, closer to me in Columbia so that I would have resources um, available, to me, available to me at school. Um, and then 
one thing I did to pass the time in there was really focus on writing. Um, and as so as soon as I got out of the facility, uh, began my quest to um, just get my story on paper and um, a way that not only that I could express myself, but to uh, show other people that um, these feelings are real. They do control people's lives and uh, those people need help. Um, maybe not through a medical facility, but at least the um, support of family members to overcome these challenges. Gotcha. Okay. And, and so you started writing your story out. You, you got involved with a psychiatrist. Did you get involved with therapy upon? Uh, I did. Um, actually, I was able to get uh, free uh, therapy through uh, that original medical facility. And so uh, about once a week, as I came home, uh, I was able to go for about an hour and sit down and vent about the week's problems and, and how schoolwork was making me feel, how my relationships with friends were making me feel. And it uh, really lifted a weight off my chest. Okay. All right. So again, breaking the silence that was, that you had previously felt like you had to carry and, and the shame that went with that silence. Now you have a, a, a space in which you could then share, you know, share what was going on. Okay. And, and so that was in November COVID comes up right in this, you know, by, by the, you know, the second half of your, so this would be your, you're in your junior year now, your third year, correct? Uh, my second year there, but uh, yeah, third year by credits. Third year. Okay. So, um, so this, this, this just happened last spring, right? Or last fall, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And so, uh, so then, uh, when did you, did you come, did with the virus, with COVID, did that, did that bring you back, back home prematurely? Uh, it did by, uh, a couple months. I think we, uh, left school. Well, I had classes normally on a Wednesday and they sent an email out Thursday morning that classes were done for the rest of the semester. So, okay. um, so I packed my stuff up for my apartment and, uh, decided to come back home and be surrounded by other people. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, so with, so did you have, so you finished the semester online? Is that with the e-learning that way? Okay. Yeah. So it just wasn't, we weren't on campus, right? Okay. So a couple questions that I have for you, and maybe this, this is all stuff that you've, you've done through, through the counseling. And obviously you've, you've discovered, sounds like you've discovered some new strategies any any uh any idea what where why it was so important or has been can st still continue to be why is it so important to be uh better than average to be perfect where do you think that what what do you think what's that story um i i think just growing up i I took to learning quite easily. Um, and so my family would, you know, give me the, the praise for getting the good grades and, Oh, you're really going to be something someday. And, and, uh, I think I let that all get to my head that I, if, if I could be something, then I had to be something. Mm. Um, and, and of course I wanted that for myself too, but it became, less of an ambition and 
more of um, something I felt forced to do. And, and, and it sounds like the criteria was always this thing of perfection to, to reveal if you really were going to be something. Right. And anything less than perfection meant that you were going to be nothing. nothing. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so there's the dichotomy, right? So, and, and I think, you know, Evan, I think I'm so appreciative that you shared in your story about this because most people think that depression looks a certain way. Right, they think anxiety looks a certain way, and and they don't think it's a 4.0 student. They don't think it's a a scholar student. They don't think if you know many times they don't think it's that. They think overachievers achieve a lot because they can. Well, that's part of the story, but there's also a part where well, people don't ask, so they don't know that there's more to the story. <laughs> yeah. Right, and um. So if, if, as you, as you think now about this part of your journey, and obviously you've, you know, is it, did I hear correctly that you've written a book? Yes, I've, I've written and uh, officially published a book uh, called A War Between the Eyes um, on Amazon. And its whole purpose is it goes through my journey in three phases, explaining how depression really is a war. Um, that you're fighting with yourself to overcome the feelings that you can't tell anybody or that you're not good enough. Um, and so I, I wrote it initially um, for the people dealing with uh, depression, but as I got further into the publication, I realized that that's not the only people that need um, to break the stigma and, and the silence uh, that surrounds uh, suicidal thoughts and, and mental illness in general. It's uh, really understanding from the family and the main support group for the long-term effects that are the lifelong illnesses that um, include depression and anxiety. Right. Well, and, and the other part that you may not have directly wrote, for, you know, you didn't, that may not have been your target audience um, because it was obviously people who struggle with mental illness, the significant others of those individuals, but then hopefully there'll be some professionals that either educators or mental health professionals or medical professionals that will read it as well and, and be informed that it doesn't always look the stereotypical way. It, it can come in different forms. Right. Right. Gotcha. So if there was one thing that you would say that you've learned ha having, and obviously depression, like many things, mental illness, like many things, it isn't just like you take a magic pill and everything's gone, right? Um, medication doesn't, well, medication may help with that, but it's also all this learned behavior that we do. And, and it's all these other things that we've learned, you know, that have come with it. If there was something that you've learned so far in your journey that, that if this would have never happened, you may never had this insight about yourself. What would you say that you've learned by going through, especially the stuff of the last nine to 18 months? What, what would you say that you've learned about Evan going through this journey, going through um, hitting a bottom and, and then doing what you didn't think you were going to do? Um, what, what would you say that you've learned about yourself? Uh, I would say the thing I cling to the most is that I'm stronger than I could have ever imagined to be. Um, if, if you would have told me, uh, 12 months ago or 
two years ago that I would, would be able to um, overcome something like this. I don't know. I don't know if I would have believed that I could get out of that hole or uh, tackle these, these issues so openly um, with you or with my family or with a therapist. Um, I, I thought for a long time that the silence was the answer uh, to, you know, if you push your problems off, then eventually they'll go away because you're not thinking about them. Um, but I, I found strength in the fact that I can tackle these challenges head on and uh, make them make them a part of my life uh, that I can accept and know that they're there and acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. You know, very good, Evan. I, you know, I give you, you know, so much credit for, for, for doing we, what I refer to with my clients and with my staff and, and just the people that know me, that you're, that you're taking on doing the work. You know, obviously you've always had a strong work ethic. Um, and now you, what I'm hearing you say is that you're doing the work to try to really understand what's going on and, and not just be busy, not just be productive and distract yourself, but actually do the work. And I think, you know, one of the things you said earlier about being at the thrift store um, and, and being fascinated by the people you get to interact with and, uh, and to either help or just get to know their stories. Um, I think that's huge to continue growing and learning that way, continue to allow yourself to be uh, humble in, in that aspect of it and recognizing that you're not alone. Right. And, and you never know in, in that allowing yourself to be able to interact with those people, you never know who God's going to have you interact with. It's just, and, and they may be there for you or you may be there for them, or maybe it's both, you know? So it's, it's a pretty cool uh, to be able to, to, to have your eyes open and being able to see that. Right. It is, it is for sure. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I know from my own experiences, uh, that idea of, of, of the, the lure of trying to achieve and, and then, and then there's never enough because it's just another thing to achieve. And it's like, you know, like going up a hill in sand, going up a, a, a sand hill. And it just, all you do is the harder you try, the, the, the more you spin your wheels. And, and I would much rather, uh, be in the position where you're at right now, where you, you can be living, living it still, still doing your work, still achieving, still, you know, still doing what you're doing in school. I, I imagine you still probably get decent grades. Um, but maybe, uh, uh, but that other stuff too is, is critically important. So Evan, you know, if you were going to share anything with the listeners today, what, what would you want to uh, share with the listeners something you'd want to want them to take away from from listening to your story and get to know you just a snapshot of who you are um I would say the main thing is uh, don't be afraid uh, of yourself of of having other people get down to that uh, the crux of the things you're feeling and who you are um, because the silence, uh, the silence doesn't help anybody, um, but it only lets that uh, that inner demon uh, get time to grow. And so, uh, whether you feel like you need to go talk to a family member uh, once a week, 
whether you need to go talk to an actual therapist, whether you need to go uh, to a mental facility and, and actually seek, uh, seek long-term help. Um, anything is better than what you're dealing with right now um, and the feelings you're feeling. Uh, and so uh, getting, getting proper help and really coming to terms with, with the fact that you are dealing with these things is what's key. Nice. Evan, your book again, um, War Between the Eyes? Yep, A War Between the Eyes. It's available on Amazon. Um, and uh, it's, it's available in paperback. Here's what it looks like, if anybody would nice. uh, like to see the cover. Um, so, yep. Nice. Now, if anybody was interested in getting a hold of you, getting in contact with you, any, is there, are you on any social media sites at all? Um, I'm actually not. I'm not too much of a social media person. Okay. Uh, all right. If uh, somebody wants to contact me by email, okay. I would be uh, happy to uh, reach out to you. Um, my email is uh, evan.wallace. 8757 at gmail.com. Perfect. All right. Well, Evan, thank you very much. And, um, and you have a fascinating story. Obviously you uh, are, are continue to do your work and continue to do your own journey, but most importantly um, you have a desire to reach out to people and shatter the silence that is um, around these uh, uh, factors that lead to people to be in that dark place and not have hope. And I think your story is a great message of that hope. Uh, you gotta, you know, it's like life. It's it just gotta, we gotta wake up and do one day at a time and, uh, and keep going. And so uh, I'm glad that you have, you have recognized that light that is within you and, um, and continue to do the good things to let that light shine. And so it can, it can shine on other people too. So, All right. Evan, thank you very much and uh, look forward to talking to you in the future and, and uh, hearing what you do uh, into the future. So, All right. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.